Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Two Face Fake Snakes. This is the podcast from the little known Irish hip hop actor lineup. I'm Professor T, and with me as always is my co host, Dr. Toomey. How are you doing today, Toomey? I'm not bad, Professor T. It's Dr. Toomey here, still getting used to my new name with the doctor in there. Not a, not a real doctor, etc., etc., blah, blah, blah. It's a Sunday lunchtime, and I'm making use of a period of time where my family are out and by my family I don't mean my my kind of wife and kids I mean my parental <laughs> family and brother because, because you don't you don't have a wife and kids I don't have a wife and kids but what I was going to say there is that my family will be coming back in about 30 minutes and they will make some sort of noise so that'll be an extra element uh, to add to this podcast Okay, kind of, kind of puts it on edge a bit. Like you don't actually know what's going to happen. A bit of uncertainty there. Yeah. The last episode where we were going through the chronology of the lineup, we left off at the point where we finished off at a point where we were just about to meet uh, Ian White, who we collaborated with on a number of songs. So we had just done the gig in Scotston Leary, um, and despite the fact that we couldn't remember any of our lyrics and we were atrocious the gig actually went down really well and we were on a, a high afterwards and uh, it was one of the lads in school then who mentioned to you that he knew a bloke who lived in Shankill who uh, recorded songs recorded rap songs and he could help us out so right we're going to touch on all of that stuff and then we are going to mention how that transitioned into us recording songs with Dennis um, which is who we recorded our second album Snakes and Ladders with eventually all in a very short period of time actually Okay, so we'll leave you there for a second and we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. So, um, we're at the point of, it's the end of 2004. We've just done a gig in Scott's Dunleary. We had recorded an album in the ironing room in your house, where you actually are right now. And we had circulated this around school and we'd done a gig, etc, etc. So, at this point, uh, people are actually offering to record songs with us. So, Ian White um, was happy to record songs with us, happy to produce songs in his house for us. So, you initially went up there on your own one day and recorded a track with them. Why don't you uh, just describe the situation and where you were in your life at that point as well? Because we, we'd moved on a bit uh, in our lives since the last time we spoke about this. Yeah, so this was uh, during our transition into university life. So I went to Trinity College and you went to DIT. So we kind of split up a bit in terms of in school. Obviously, we were hanging around at lunchtime every day, but now we're in different uh, colleges. Um, but it was an exciting time, new people, etc. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I went out to, to meet Ian White on my own, first of all. I don't know wh- why you weren't there, but maybe you were off doing something else. <laughs> I think I think this is the way we normally did things like you you usually used to go out and meet these people at first and record a song with them and then I would kind of tag along a later on at a later date when we'd, we'd established that everything was good to go here like so you kind of went and surveyed this scene and recorded like a kind of a nonsense track maybe just to see what it was like and then I would come along you come along later yeah to, to kind of seal the deal um, yeah so I went out to, to Ian White's and I recorded a kind of it was just 
uh, lyrics that I just had lying around somewhere and I put them to to music that he had. He, he had like a good studio setup there. And I'll just play a little snippet of that track there. So as you can see here, there's like a chorus, there's a, a beat that's kind of, that's, that's original, that's the first time recording on an original beat. So I'm just going to play a little snippet of that here. This is not a sermon, but I hope you're learning as I burn the microphone like bridges, getting your highlights of bridges, and I'm cooler than your fridges, ladies, write that in your bridges. Jones Diary, check into the primary, I'm telling you overdose of hip-hop flows. Okay, so as you said, it's just kind of lyrics that you probably had lying around or you probably wrote on the spot, but just as a, as a point of interest as well. So this was our first uh, sample of doing things in takes and recording a verse and not having to wrap the entire thing in a roll. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and doing doubling as well, like things like doubling and you can hear a bit of reverb and everything there. Like So this was all like we, we might as well have been in like the Rolling Stones studio or something like that. We were on top um, of the world. Yeah, like this was this was this was it. We'd made it. We had heads. We had there's pictures of us there with uh, the headsets on, wrapping into the actual proper mics. I still have one of those pictures, um, and it's just like it's just a whole new world for us. Okay, so after your initial um, visit where you recorded that song, we would go out then together. And Dennis, actually, who was the DJ at our first gig in Scotston Leary, and would go on to play a much greater role down the line. Dennis was present as well at this. Um, and we had gone off and written some lyrics in the interim period. So we actually came armed with three different songs. Uh, one of them was called Future Kings of Hip Hop. Then there was Poison and Bounce Back. So there was three different songs. Um, kind of different themes running through those songs. And interesting songwriting progression from where we'd left off on uh, Cameras Action Doom. Uh, writing about uh, people who, I don't know, go out drinking and piss on people when they're locked. Uh, we we we've gone on from that to writing about things like um, giving wor- giving world weary advice to people who needed to change their ways because we were nineteen years old and we knew everything at this point now. Yeah, we were in college now, so we could give out this advice. We did our first album under our belt, under our belt. Um, so we wrote a song called Poison, for example, about a, a teenage oh, girl who had lost her way. And we were we knew, of course, because we were 19 and we knew the paths she shouldn't go down. Yeah. And basically what she had done, the things she'd done wrong is basically she uh, hung around with a slightly different group of people and became less interested in us as friends. And kind of maybe went and got drunk a couple of times or something like that. That's probably about the extent of her uh, rebellious uh, ways that we advised her she needed to change quickly in this song in this piece of advice that we wrote specifically for her but never played for her or told her about she had a hard time coming to terms with reality a hard time thinking the world was her enemy but what she didn't see was that the people she loved wanted her to be the person she used to be kind and caring always entertaining never holding back and never retaining never scornful or blaming never was she feigning smiles and laughter never was she blaming others complaining to others about how she suffered and what her father did to her mother but her older sister and her brother seemed to recover as she fell into the arms of her 30 year old lover and that's when she discovered the chemical solution that seemed to make her hover over clouds she lived her whole life neglected never proud but there was still one voice she respected one voice that remained loud Okay, so as you can hear there, a uh, bit different to what we'd been writing up until this point. So we kind of started taking ourselves um, obnoxiously seriously, <laughs> I think. 
that's a good way to, to summarize it obnoxiously on, on that particular track um, but the other two were a bit more lighthearted. Future Kings of Hip Hop was kind of just a statement of bravado it was us actually genuinely thinking that we were going to go and change the world and that we had the world at our feet and that the possibilities were endless yeah and there's a bit of narcissism and arrogance in that but there's also a nice kind of possibility and energy in that as well which I, I think is linked to youth and that's how we how we felt at the time that we could be the future kings of hip hop. So give me the mic, and if you like it, then listen. And if you don't, then can I suggest you reposition your stereo speakers and let someone else listen who realizes what they're missing by not hearing the magician of a hexes on all you who don't give us a second glance. Cause you're watching television with your hands and your pants, trying to block out the chance of the line of fans. Time to jump on the bandwagon, now's your chance. The sound has the ground shaking, groundbreaking material. We're killing it with cereal. Trailer's unbelievable. And who would have believed the shit we've achieved in the year 2005? Arrive, we're here. Pass the beer, pass the vodka. Pass me the mic, I'll get you high like the spike on a car street. Standing tall like the Great Wall of China. Where the fucking line up? I said it before, it's not a fucking wind up. Keep it up non stop, we're hitting straight to the top. We'll bounce back and we flop. The future kings of hip hop. And if the words don't rhyme, well, that's not a crime. Okay, so that was Future Kings of Hip Hop. And then the third song we recorded during this session was Bounce Back. So this was uh, this was kind of a, a Toomey special, I'll say, uh, where you are kind of releasing the bottled up rage and resentment you have against these people in your life who have done you wrong. And this is your uh, you getting back at these people. Would that be somewhere around the area of being correct? Yeah, it, it, <laughs> it went uh, in... It went. It coincided with the, the my theme of snakes and my bitterness and people having uh, disrespected me in some way, and basically a lot of those songs that I wrote around the time around this theme were about somebody confronting me or being dismissive of me or or saying something to me in the moment in a night out or or a similar situation, a social setting, and me not having the presence of mind to respond to them or the courage to respond to them in that moment so i would go off and stew about their comment for weeks <laughs> Stew, <laughs> and i'd remember it for seven years and then i'd write a song about it called bounce back which was really about bouncing back from these snakes these these frauds these people who try to shoot you down these bastards two-faced fake snakes two-faced fake snakes these people who will connive behind your back and you know, they'll, they'll talk about you, they'll make snide comments, they'll be your best friend in one situation and your worst enemy in another. Okay, so uh, they would go on to dominate a lot of your songwriting over the next couple of years. These snakes, um, these, <laughs> <laughs> these bastards, they grind it. Oh, go on. Okay, um, so yeah, so Bounce Back was kind of maybe the first uh, instance of you documenting your history with these snakes, um, which, yeah, which, which became a common feature. Down no, the line. Okay. Actually, I, d I don't think it was my first uh, documentary. Oh, no, it wasn't, actually. As, uh, as sorry, you, we've already mentioned you. You mentioned snakes in your very first very song, first I think. Lyrics. <laughs> you, yeah. you, you remember those lyrics. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I stand here alone holding a microphone. I don't need you snakes. I can make it on my own. <laughs> my very first lyrics yeah. was about snakes and people who had done me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. So, yeah. So, we'll just stick a little uh, clip of Bounce Back here. So, this kind of has a, a nice... Um, 
kind of a nice uh, upbeat kind of chorus so we, we play a bit of the chorus there and just a, a bit of our verses as well come on feel it down deep underground you gotta get back up and turn it around you gotta roll with the punches like crunches and crunches and punches and pushes blood rushes save your blushes save your brushes cause I'm painting mental pictures so vivid you live it forget it forgive it move on to the next obstacle we will overcome sober bishop shrink with joking nuns in celebration of the strength God gave him it's amazing when you decide nothing will be facing like when someone sighs you in front of your peers as if they're expecting a flood of tears no fears of that bounce back maybe smack the jackass and back whack him or her with the yeah. CD of the track that yeah. the speedily retract the earlier yeah. statement. I'm sorry, man. Bounce on. back when you're feeling stressed. Bounce back. Hard times bring out the best. Bounce back. Yeah, we'll turn it around. Don't let the bastards grind you down. Bounce back when you're feeling stressed. Bounce back. Hard times bring out the best. Bounce back. Yeah, we'll turn it around. Don't let the bastards grind you down. Come on. Okay, so that was Bounce Back. It was a song, actually, we were, we did live um, at our 30th in 2015. It was quite enjoyable to do live. I had to trick you into allowing it into the set for my own perverse reasons. Um, I always get a kick when I go to see a, a bands myself where they play something rare and hardly ever played. So as a performing artist, I wanted to give back to no one in particular because no one knew the song. But uh, I just wanted to have that uh, rarity in there just for my own amusement. So it was enjoyable to do live, I think. Like, so I think that's a song that if it was produced better, I mean, with more kind of better sound quality and if it was reproduced now, I think it would actually come across OK. Like, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's not bad. It's, it's not it's not the worst. Um, so that was kind of that. Um, we, there was nothing further ever done with Ian White after that point, if I'm not mistaken. You're absolutely was correct. And uh, the reason for that maybe was because Dennis came to our final recording session with Ian White. He came along. I'm not sure why he came along. Maybe he was just kind of wanted to, to hang out and he wanted to maybe do some scratching. Maybe that was it. And how did that come about that he came along? I think I, I was in touch with him after the gig that we did and I think I had enticed him down maybe to collaborate on the song that we did with Ian White through scratching. So like, yeah, putting in an acapella, scratching with it. But then he came, he came down with us and we were on top of the world after that recording session. And we're thinking, oh, we, that went really well. But then he was, he straight away was like, <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing. And in fairness, you can hear on some of those tracks there, there's a bit of like, uh, it's uh, like, it's, there's a bit of interference on the song. The, the sound recording isn't pristine by any stretch. Like it's, it's much better than what we had, but there is a lot of outside noise and stuff going through some of those songs. So he was saying to us, I can do that a lot better than this guy is doing it. Basically, that was this, the situation. And it turned out that, that Dennis was a sound engineer. He was studying sound engineering in, uh, I can't remember the, the college in, in Dublin. And he was really skilled in it. Um, and so he invited us back to record a couple of songs, I think, a couple of weeks later. Yes, and this is when he was living uh, on Chatham Row, I think, which was just around the back of Stevens Green area. He'd go on to live in East Wall later on, but uh, this was when he was living in a nice location. And uh, I just always, yeah, I remember that area just being like the most uh, kind of, like it was so busy all the time and like all filled with people going out drinking and in pubs and stuff and he had a little balcony where you could look out onto the streets in town and you could see the kind of busyness of everybody and everybody like going about their lives and I, I always loved um that area of town 
it was just like right in the center of everything and he happened to have an apartment and a recording studio there like we really fell on our feet bumping into Dennis yeah that was amazing because like as I said I was in Trinity College you were in DIT and we we used to have a lot of like time off during the week and we used to go there I think it was usually on a Friday afternoon and I'm getting ahead of myself here but it was just like having somewhere so central to meet up like in the afternoon and just it was just brought us together and so we go back to maybe the first time we went in there um <clears throat> it was just that the quality of his setup was superior to ian white's so we were delighted with ian white's setup but dennis's was he just had better microphones he had a better software system he was much more kind of in tune with what you should do with recording and doubling and all that type of thing the first time we went out there um we recorded a new version of Bounce Back where you had changed your lyrics um, in your verse, although I kept mine the same. And we recorded another version of The Camera Never Lies, which was a song that had featured on uh, Snakes and Ladders. And I remember, even though like the setup was amazing, he had a really good microphone. He did lots of doubling and things with us. He, he really waited. like He wouldn't accept the first or the second take or the third or fourth or fifth, or in some cases, even the 10th, he really wanted you to give your best performance. And he was really encouraging, especially with me, because I was the less skilled of the two of us. And I think he didn't really rate me as highly as he rated you as a rapper. So he would really work with me, though, to try and get the best performance out of me. Um, But I think after the first time we left there, I, I remember you, I remember myself being on kind of quite a decent buzz about the whole thing, but I remember you being slightly disappointed because what we had recorded was basically just two new versions of old songs we already had lying around yeah i suppose i wanted to kind of get on with the like the creativity of it and, and keep the momentum going and i can't actually remember that incident but i, I can just like i was probably wanted to yeah get, get on to new things I, I remember just walking down the street afterwards and uh, being slightly more upbeat than you and you were like yeah it's just like we did the camera never lies and bounce back and it, it took so long just to get two songs even done like because of the level of perfectionism on dennis's part um and it was maybe it was because it was all new to us and we were like i don't know it just wasn't as yeah and it was quite daunting as well the, the, the entire thing from from my recollection anyway like it was very intimidating trying to go in and be a rapper all of a sudden to somebody who knew what he was talking about knew what he was doing unlike us really at the time yeah ex- extremely nerve-wracking to get up there and even like say things in front of another person sometimes yeah. is nerve-wracking but when they're when it's been recorded and you have to get up there and not make a mistake and you're sober and yeah it's all new you don't sober know was well, sober was a very new aspect of it as well <laughs> which made it difficult because most uh, life events at that time we did drunk um yeah but yeah but like i think that was the first time but then the second time we went back again and we we, we arranged with dennis to go back uh and we decided we would have a couple of cheeky cans before we went in. <laughs> we did. We had a couple of sneaky uh, Bavaria, two Bavaria each, I remember having. Um, and it was just a correct amount of drink to be more confident and have more passion and energy, as Dennis would say, in the tracks. And one of the songs we actually did in that second session was Two Face Fake Snakes, which was poss- possibly the best song we've ever done. Two Face Fake Snakes. Yeah, and that's the, the title track or the title of this podcast. It's the song that everybody associates with the lineup and the one that everybody asks for. Well, when I mean everybody, I mean our seven friends. Seven, seven people in the history of time. But yeah, to, in our small circle, that's everybody. It's the one that gets the most uh, feedback and questions about it and things like that. The most enjoyable one to perform live as well, I'd say. Yeah, so here we were going in that, that second occasion, had a couple of cans and we then we belted out two face fake snakes and maybe we should 
I, were you planning on us taking some time to go through to Two Face Fake Snakes? Oh yeah, we should definitely discuss this song in detail. Yes, yeah. so so this is bringing us back to the theme we talked about, where you, uh, mainly driven by you, uh, <laughs> were getting back at these people who had wronged you in some way, who disrespected you, who had uh, made a fool of you, or who had uh, stabbed you in the back in some way. So your verse was definitely written before mine because I remember writing to this theme after you had uh, shown me your verse. All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think my verse was very much related to what I perceived as people being friendly to you in one situation. And then in another situation, when my social value is less than it is in the original situation, then that person sort of not relating to me the same way, sort of disowning me, even dismissing yeah. me. So being, I, I can relate to that, yeah. Yeah, so being, being friendly with me and, oh, this person's great in one setting. And then in the second setting, when I'm of less social standing, then like treating me like dirt on the bottom of their shoe. This is actually related to me as well, because I, the expression of my personality would change in different contexts and who I was around. So I could be really loud and outgoing with, with friends and lads or whatever I know I knew well and kind of jokey and stuff like that jovial and then with people I didn't know so well maybe people who were a bit older or like in a different social group I could be extremely shy um I could be sensitive and very quiet so I there was a contrast within me and I think what was so that was actually difficult for me on my own but what made it worse for me was people picking up on that and yeah. altering their behavior based on my social standing. I was quite similar. So one-on-one, I could get on with somebody really well. Or let's say I worked with the person and you're doing a, a menial task like stacking shelves or something in a supermarket. You can get on with them really, really well and bond with them. But then maybe at the work Christmas party, when there's like cooler, louder, more confident people around, that person doesn't treat you the same as they did in the previous context when you were their best mate when you were stacking the shelves because there's cooler, more popular people around and they almost ignore you or they want you to be as outgoing as you were in that confined environment of being one-on-one or doing a separate thing mm. and you don't, you're not able to do that. Like, yes. And I'm, I'm the same. You're not able to be as confident and funny and interesting in a larger group of more popular outgoing people as you are in a smaller situation where you're probably at your best and the other person then doesn't want to deal with that, the shy version of you, so they kind of are dismissive to you. If you notice people bitching about other people, like yes, yes, sometimes yes. in the workplace or in sports teams or whatever, I always found that like everybody bitches a bit. Like, and I, I always found it okay. Like, if it's in a sort of a setting to the side, or you're you're having a few pints with a person, and you kind of get into it and you're venting. I think that's fine, and everyone does that. But there's certain people who do it so much. And they do it in big crowds and they're constantly going on a bit bitching about people. And it's like their their go-to response. It's their habit. Yeah. And it, it, yeah. it's kind of vindictive. Like they're they're trying to find st- stuff that the person did wrong. and that, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And then the people around them sort of back up their opinion. They don't... They, they're all having fun with this sort of venting progress. So they target the other person. And they sort of vilify the other person. And... Yeah, it becomes this sort of circle jerk kind of reaction where, oh, we're brilliant and that person's a complete arsehole. Um, yeah, so and it's, it was a lot more prevalent um, back years ago when we were, we were much younger when you mightn't have had the confidence to go and say, no, actually, I like that person, so whatever. Yeah. I, like, uh, that type of confidence, definitely for me anyway, comes with age. But I remember years ago, actually, before we even wrote this song, uh, there was a 
girl in our circle, I won't mention who it was, but I remember she was being vilified as being like a weirdo and not sound and like, uh, and it was kind of the general theme, like this particular girl was not like was uh, like just a weirdo and just like not, you weren't supposed to like her or get along with her. But I remember me and you both did get along with her. And I remember you pointed it out at one point. You're like, the only reason people say she's not sound is because and there's another person who was kind of the ringleader of all this is because person X just decided that she's not sound. Mm. Uh, and I was like, you're fucking completely right, actually. And I hadn't even looked at it that way. But um, yeah, you, you pointed it out to me like there's. Certain people are the, are the decision makers about who's yeah. cool or who's sound and who isn't, and then that person ends up if the, if the person falls out of favor with the decision makers, they just get bitched about, and every little thing, every little aspect of their behavior gets picked upon, usually behind their back as well. <laughs> yeah, I think like you've come up with a good term term for it there, decision makers. Like there seems to be two or three decision makers who who set the tone, and then everyone else sort of follows along with that, because that that group becomes the dominant force of of the decisions <laughs> like do you know i have to be completely honest here though i've been on the other end of that as well i've definitely been a decision maker in, in my youth at some point definitely and decided that this person is whatever and i've also treated people differently in different contexts <laughs> like the snakes <laughs> you describe in your songs I, i've done that too <laughs> because like it's it's not it's not possible to go through life without doing that in some way um but but some some people are worse than others <laughs> So would you say that there's a bit of a two-faced fake snake in all of us? Uh, yes, I would. Um, and that's like, I think it. I've definitely seen that in myself as I got older. And I actually, I think I've become much less judgmental of two-faced fake snakes as I get older because I think it's a normal thing that everybody does. And I think it's normal to vent. It's normal to bitch about people. It's normal to treat people differently in different situations. But I think there's a, I think there was something about being 18 or 19 and people doing it to such a high degree that really bothered me and me being so vulnerable to it at that age that bothered me um and then t- i suppose just to f- to finish off the points for for present day i think again i understand that everybody does it and i do it but it's just the frequency and the extremity of it that gets to me and it kind of it makes the the social situation unsafe for me but yeah i i think i mentioned briefly though have you found this as well i found as i've got older i don't care as much about it because well if you're talking about people bitching about somebody and saying this person's a dickhead i'm confident enough now myself to say well i don't find the person to be a dickhead i actually like them and i get on with them i don't and i don't really give a shit what other people think mm. either um in that situation and then the other thing of people treating you differently in different contexts i've definitely noticed it and it's, it's noticeable in things like in the workplace as well um but i just get on with it you know i just have to get on with your life as well like at some point and just go right well this happens um and it, it wouldn't bother me it wouldn't hurt me maybe let's say as much as it might have done in the past that's it yeah exactly and people will bullshit you like they'll bullshit you about things like uh especially like let's say it's especially in the workplace um they'll tell you one thing to your face and then go off and do nothing about the thing they've promised you or something like that like that's <laughs> definitely happened to me a few times like, yeah. where you're, you're pinning your hopes on something and then they're just they're just like flapping their gums they're not they're not actually going to follow up with you of any of these promises they've made to you but like that's kind of an example of it as well um but you, you yeah, you just accept that and you just have to move on with your life. Do you know what? Yeah, you accept it as part of life and you accept that the other person isn't this horrible, bad, evil person for doing that. So you become less judgmental of them as well. And that helps as well. And then you become more accepting as yourself of yourself as you get older. And you're thinking, OK, maybe people might be talking about me behind my back, but I've done that to them. And it actually doesn't matter. 
if they're talking about me behind my they're behind my back. Yeah, it really doesn't click. Yeah, yeah. I, there's a deadly thing Darren Brown said in one of his books, um, his autobiographical books, where he's like, um, "You probably stop wondering how much, or you probably stop worrying so much about what people say about you behind your back when you realize how little they do." <laughs> and I, like, so it does happen, obviously, but. I used to get paranoid when, especially, I'm going to go back to work-related things again. So especially if I thought somebody in a job didn't like me, I used to get paranoid a lot mm. that they'd be bitching about me constantly behind my back. And the reality of it was they might have said one or two things about me uh, and then that they had loads of other shit going on in their life. And I probably wasn't that important to them, really. So I needn't have worried about it as much as I did. Yeah. And I think that it, that really captures how it's related to how you feel about yourself. That's how much... Uh, worry you give to other people talking about you behind your back when you're a bit older you don't even give a fuck if somebody's talking about you behind their back behind your back so yeah it's kind of it's part of life um but i suppose like going back to that song it was it was a huge dominating issue for me in my teens throughout my teens in different situations and it all sort of for me came out in that song the the kind of injustice of it and the anger towards it it was definitely cathartic for you, I think. <laughs> yeah, but in fairness, your, your, your verse really tapped into the, what a two-faced fake stink was to such a degree that you couldn't have just written it to go on sidewalk. Oh, no. I, as I said, I can, I can strongly relate to those themes as well, and I had experienced it too. I just think it was your baby. <laughs> I was along for the ride, though. <laughs> but you, you, were, you were good. If you were along for the ride, you were definitely a good kind of guy in the yeah, passenger I was, seat or I wasn't I sitting in the back seat I was in the passenger seat yeah, you had the up, map. up along beside you I had the <laughs> map yeah. you had a map out it was 2004 there was no Google Maps you had the map out I had the map to Snake Avenue <laughs> Snake Avenue uh, I can't think of another joke to go with that quickly no, enough, but if, I did, if I did I would have uh, yeah <laughs> stop it stop it A plus let's go I'm watching my back all the time these days, my brother Bray Gets knifed every time I look away these days You gotta be careful what you say to certain people Cause they're secretly tell other people your secrets It's a secret to life Don't give them the opportunity to use the knife Worse than housewife, they talk about you Full of jealousy spite It's not right, it's not life This battle for spotlight I'm not some power control competition I'm sick of listening to bitches Always bitching on the bus there Jealousy erupts with minimum fuss I've had enough of these two-faced Fake sakes for fuck's sake Smiling in my face Conniving with their hate They can all go and fuck themselves Like a masturbate It's too late to take back your words, ass kissing like Smithers Slime and slitter and slitters in the grass Which travels fast, I pass all the bullshit I don't need to be told you, don't talk about me, I won't talk about you Where's way true? So stop all the lies Stop all the gossiping, stop all the jives If you're doing it, just stop it how many faces has a snake? Well, two if it's fake. Hell, some snakes will have as many faces as it takes. I'll greet you with smiles and always handshakes, but I don't trust these motherfuckers cause it's always on the make. Either eye, two for two, it's doggy dog to tell the truth. I wouldn't hesitate to grab a gun and shoot you down. When the allies are around, they're the hottest shit in town. They give off the impression that they're sound on the one-on-one. But when the chips are down, they just reload their gun. They got the finger in the pies with all the wise guys. Hang around for the rise, but disappear for the demise. And their eyes are a sorry of deceit and lies. Inside, they must be falling apart, falling to pieces. I say it's gotta be hard to have to iron out the crease Every time you're alone to think of every little factor Someone gets this man a stage cause he's nothing but an actor Two-faced fake 
snakes, backstabbing bastards. Two face fake snakes, backstabbing bastards. Two face fake snakes, backstabbing bastards. The pigeon epidemic causes worldwide disaster. Two face fake snakes, backstabbing bastards. Two face fake snakes, backstabbing bastards. Two face fake snakes, backstabbing bastards. The pigeon epidemic causes worldwide disaster. If you're doing it, just stop it. 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 If you're doing it, fake just stop it. If you're doing it, fake just stop it. If you're doing it, fake just stop it. If you're doing it, but damn it, just stop it. If you're doing it, fake just stop it. Right, so as you heard there, that was a snippet of Two Face Fake Snakes. Still to this day, probably our most popular song. Very enjoyable to do live. And uh, yeah, that's um, that for a long time was probably the peak of the lineup, I'd say as well. Would you agree? Yeah, I would absolutely agree. Like it, it really drove us forward. And that was one of our early sessions with Dennis in his uh, studio in, in Dublin City Centre. And yeah, that gave us the energy because we got such a buzz out of that. Like the... We'd created a really good song with lots of different parts to it, and that meant a lot to us. So that really energized yeah. us. And to contrast this with the previous session we'd done with him, so I, re- I recall doing three songs here, and my hunch is that Defag was another one of them, and I can't remember what the third one was, but I think it could have possibly been music, because I remember those three were recorded very early on in that process. Um, music, sorry, m- music being... Music being the name of a, of a song, by the way. Sorry, not just <laughs> the, the general <laughs> term, music. music. Um, so, uh, yeah, I remember coming out of that one with three original songs. And it was like the contrast of the the previous time when we come out. You were absolutely delighted. We were both absolutely delighted. And we, we thought we'd absolutely destroyed it and done our best work, which we had. Oh, yeah, we had. And those were three songs that made it to the, the album that we'd, we'd, come, we'd uh, finalize later. But could I just clarify the defag just because... Um, just to it clarify, it sounds like sound. a, a homophobic slur. It's not yes, at all. It's it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's an acronym for drink feck arse girls, and it was a it was an ode to the father Ted kind of lingo, and the the song was about drinking and things like that. It's straight to the bar, line up the shots, turn around and now all these bowers look hot. I'm knocked, bollocks, plastered, wasted, pips, tipsy, hammered, elephants, face it. The Irish without drink is like a knacker without links. And even when he sticks, he's still knocking back the drinks like the rest of us. We got so many stories to tell. It's like we're drinking from an anecdotal well. Welcome to Ireland where the crack is 90. The people are drunk, the night life is lively. The places are a rip-off, the politicians are a joke. And you have to leave the pub to have a fucking smoke. Drink, sick, arse, girls. You know what I'm getting appetite, you know what's getting that. Drink, sick, arse, girls. You know what I'm getting appetite, you know what's getting that. Drink, sick, arse, girls. You know what I'm getting appetite, you know what's getting that. Drink, sick, arse, girls. You know what I'm getting appetite, you know what's getting that. And then, okay, we'll just, we'll just mention music now as well because I, I mentioned it. Uh, that was us talking about how we um, got creative fulfillment through listening to and writing music. <laughs> Basically the theme there. Um, yeah, and that was, that was a really, what's one of my favorite songs we've ever done, actually. Yeah, we, did, we maybe turned the corner with that song a bit because it was a really serious song but it was about how much music meant to us. And we both did uh, 32 bar verses rather than 16 for the first time ever as well. To kind of uh, summarise here, so we, we met up with Ian White, we did a few songs, Dennis was like, that was our rubbish, I can do much better. First session, 
wasn't much to talk about. But by the end of that second session, we were kicking ass and we really we were, we kind of had come into our own, I think, as uh, as rappers, and we were confident in our ability at this point. Um, the daunting kind of feeling from the first recording session i think it was still there but it wasn't nearly as bad the second time around and i think we were ready to go and record a full album with dennis like we had we had all the confidence we needed at that point the nerves were being replaced with excitement and we were getting better at what we were doing and to come out of it on a friday afternoon with three what we considered top quality songs in our back pocket just for a couple of hours work what a feeling that was like um on top of the world hi top of the morning to you Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right um so that's um will we wrap this episode up there then yeah i think so because i think we're coming up over 40 minutes now when we add in those songs so okay so we're gonna wrap this episode up the next episode will continue on with the recording of what became snakes and ladders uh and what i would like to talk about in the next episode is the differences of mindset between dennis and us because he had a very strong um opinion about what a an album a rap album should be and how much kind of humor and silliness should be present on it whereas we had uh, equally strong opinions but kind of in many ways they were opposite to what dennis thought and it did cause a bit of tension and it caused a bit of friction between us and that was why, while the snakes were mainly your thing the friction caused in the recording studio was mainly mine i'll take ownership of that <laughs> Yeah, and so we'll talk about that. And another thing I, we maybe we'll talk about is the sort of collaborations and that, that Sir Scratch was part of this as well. So I'm looking forward to, 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 to talking about the whole buzz around that recording studio. Yes, and you did a nice little song with Scratch actually as well, which we can uh, play a snippet of too. Um, so, grand. Okay, so we're going to leave it there. Uh, next time around, it'll be episode seven. We're talking more about recording Snakes and Ladders in Chatham Row with Dennis. And yeah, we're looking forward to seeing you next time. Okay? Okay, Dr. Toomey, Professor T, signing off. See you next time. Bye.